Uh, I am so excited to be here. Um, when Sean uh, called me and asked me uh, if I would be able to preach today, which actually was before like pandemic <laughs> and all that kind of stuff, uh, I was so excited and felt so many feelings. Uh, first and foremost, uh, the excitement um, because of Sean and Allie um, and share reciprocates uh, some of the story that they shared. When I first got to know Sean, uh, he was the little brother of some of my friends at college. Uh, so I remember Sean coming up, teenager Sean, coming up and visiting college while we were there. Uh, first getting to know him in that way. And then uh, Sean, and then also getting to meet Ali as students uh, during their time at college. Uh, and then it's been fun seeing our relationship change to where uh, they are valued friends. Um, and one of the few people that I feel... Um, I can talk to without like uh, translating life experience, right? Um, that the experiences we've had uh, in Keller Park and the experiences of this great community here uh, are so similar. You guys mean so much to me. So thanks for that. I'm excited to be here at this church. Um, again, Keller Park, the church that, that I was at was very similar to that. Uh, but since then, I've been I've uh, transitioned to South Bend City Church, kind of taking some of the lessons we learned from our neighborhood church and helping to, to share it with a kind of broader regional model, and so coming here today feels like a return to home for me. Even though I've never stepped foot in here, uh, this feels right, this feels home. Uh, so thank you for welcoming into that. Also, uh, I'm not Mennonite, but I feel like I'm practically Mennonite. <laughs> uh, so all my friends are Mennonite. Uh, the church that I transitioned from is now Mennonite. Uh, and the church that I'm at now at South Bend City Church, we're spending the next six months going through the Sermon on the Mount, so I feel like... <laughs> feel like it's pretty Mennonite. Um, so excited to be here with you. This is my first time in a Mennonite church, and I'm really excited about that as well. Uh, but then there, it wasn't all just excitement, though, because like uh, when the ask was to preach an ordination, ordination is a very churchy word. And I grew up a pastor's kid, so like I have all these like uh, emotional reactions to churchiness uh, from the world that I grew up in. In fact, uh, I've spent much of my life kind of bucking against and rebelling against a lot of the traditions of church because I, I grew up sitting through so many traditions after traditions that made no sense to me, and I didn't really get. Um, so if you're sitting in this process, or if you're a kid and you're hearing the word ordination, like I feel you. Uh, but what I've grown to learn is that uh, there is so much goodness in church traditions, uh, goodness that I didn't understand. I remember, uh, so I was a year into my time in Keller Park. I started really young, like Sean did. I didn't really know what I was doing. You know, I got like a Bible degree because I thought I was going to be a preacher, but I was a pastor's kid, so I knew I never wanted to be a pastor. So I didn't really focus on like the church leadership kinds of things that are important. So when I ended up a pastor, I, did, I didn't fully know what to do. And I remember like I'm a year into my time at Keller Park, and the board comes to me, and they're like, hey, we got to like uh, vote in a new board member, you know, because somebody, somebody just retired and left. I was like, cool, like, you know, Sarah, she'd be great for this. And they're like, oh, it can't, can't be Sarah. I'm like, why can't it be Sarah? They're like, well, Sarah's not on our membership roster. I was like, what's a membership roster? <laughs> like, what is, and they're like, oh, well, here's the list of people who are members of the church. And they came and they, like, gave a list of uh, the membership roster of the church. And I looked at the list and I was like, I don't know half of the people on <laughs> this list of the membership roster. And... 
half of the people that I think are some of the, like, the most uh, deepest members of our community's names are not on here. And I was like, what are we doing with this list? I don't, if this list does not reflect what I see in the church, like membership is stupid. Let's get rid of membership. And so try, try to like move away from all these church traditions that just felt oppressive. I remember then, it was like two years later than after that, um, and we were running this tutoring program in the neighborhood, and one of my uh, neighbors needed some community service hours, and so she was coming down and she was volunteering and doing a great job um, cooking the chili for the tutoring program. It's so great having her there. You know, we really just embraced, like, we're all in this together. We're all community. Uh, so she was doing that, and then we found out this thing that she was going after the tutoring program, and she was going out to sing karaoke in the community, and as she was, she was running into the parents of the kids in our tutoring program, and she was coming up to them and saying, like, oh, I work over at the church, like, with a tutoring program, and your kids are a mess, and we all think that your kids are a mess. And I was like, oh, no. Like, she had her opinion, and that's fine, but, like, there's got to be some way that we can rec- that the community can recognize like who the people that are like you know core parts of our church are like that really get the love of Jesus and the things that we're trying to do in the community and and I was telling our board like we got to come up with some way of figuring out who's really with us who really gets who we are and somebody was like I think you're talking about membership <laughs> I was like oh yeah <laughs> So that started a process of me going back and saying, hey, if there's things that the church has done through the decades and the centuries, there's probably something really good to be found in those. And it challenged me to give a second look to things. So we come today to ordination, right? And in the midst of all the feelings I have, like I recognize that there's so much goodness in the midst of this process as we recognize and affirm the pastoral call on Sean's life. And Ali, I want to include you in this too, um, because so much of the pastoral life is this family endeavor, but I also recognize that this is not your personal challenge that you've taken on yourself. So I I include you as much and also give you the space to be free from this (laughs) as much as you desire. Uh, It's important to recognize and affirm the call of a pastor, because it doesn't always start out that way. Right? Anybody can go through and get a degree and fill out a resume and then go through an application process and get a job as a pastor and earn the title of a pastor. But I feel you don't really become a pastor until you've learned to love a community. And that's when you really become a pastor, when you start serving and embracing that role. So in some ways, this recognition of that feels like a wedding vow renewal ceremony, right? Because in our weddings, when we get married, we, we come with all this optimism. We come with all these good intentions of this is who I want to be. This is, I think, what God is calling us to into this relationship and into these commitments. And so we say, like, uh, for better, for worse, in sickness and health, for richer, for poor. We say all these things, even though we really don't know what it is that those things mean to us practically, right? And it's not until a couple years into marriage where you're short on sleep, you're trying to figure out how health insurance is going to work and paying off the medical bills from the new baby you just had while your uh, toddler is also crying in the room and you and your spouse are both sleepless and you you don't know how you're going to be able to get up for work the next day and go through it. And then when you reach the middle of those moments, you start to understand the commitments of 
being faithful to walk through the ups and downs of life together, right? And so that's why I think it's so beautiful when, when people do come back for, you know, wedding vow renewal ceremonies is people coming back to saying, hey, now that I know what this thing is, like, I really want to affirm the goodness of this thing and my intentions to keep moving forward in the middle of this. So that's as I try and process the church world and traditions in my brain in ways that make sense. That's what this feels like for me today. And so I'm going to preach it a little bit like a wedding sermon, if that's okay. We're going to talk a little bit about the love of God for God's people. We're going to talk a little bit about how pastors can be called and challenged into that. And then we're going to talk a little bit about congregations and communities and the ways that we can also embrace that in a healthy way uh, and embrace the love of God together. I also want to recognize that just like if, if we're preaching a, a wedding ceremony, like uh, the challenges we present are challenges that you're probably already doing great job at, right? So these are just simply reminders of steps that we can take according to the love of God in our life. All right, so let's look at the love of God. And if we're going to look at the love of God, let's start at the very beginning. It's a very good place to start. We're going to look at God showing his love to the world. Now, we recognize that, that God loves the world. God loves the people of the world, right? For God so loved the world. But in the beginning of God's story of introducing God's self to the world, God doesn't just love the world. God doesn't just love people. In the beginning of the story, God very specifically comes, in the passages we read, comes to a specific person, to Abram, to Abraham, and chooses to, to walk with Abraham and chooses to show love to Abraham and Abraham's descendants. God doesn't just love people. God chooses to come and love these specific people. And I read that, and I read the call of Abraham, and I read this, this call of God saying, I will be your God, and you will be my people. And I have to ask the question, why? Why Abraham? Why did God come to Abraham and choose not just to love everybody, but to choose to love this guy and this guy's people, this guy's family? Well, the interesting thing in these passages that we see is that we're not actually given a reason why God chose Abraham. Now, later on in the book of Hebrews, we see that Abraham was a faithful man and that that like, kind of cemented the way in which God walked with Abraham and that Abraham's faithfulness was a big part of that. Uh, but the book of Hebrews was written uh, centuries after the book of Genesis was written. right? So when we start to have this story, this was not information that was included in how the story was put together. Because the important uh, situation that the authors wanted us to know was not why Abraham was chosen as a people, but why would God be the type of God that would choose a people? Like, what is so important about God showing love in a way that chooses someone in particular, not someone just general? So there's still a why here, but the why is not why Abraham, but why did God do that? Why did God behave in that way? Why is it important for God to get invested particularly in a group of people? Well, we get the answer later, right? We get the answer later in the passage that we read from Exodus. 
because you have God's people that have now grown into a full nation. The people of Abraham have grown into a nation. Uh, They've had a lot of experience together. They've been carried away into Egypt. They've been enslaved into Egypt. In the midst of being enslaved into Egypt, uh, God reaches out and talks to Moses. And in God's conversation with Moses, we see this reading it again from Exodus chapter 3, verses 7 through 10. And it says, The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land. Yes, the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. So God says in this passage, I have heard the cries of my people, and so I am going to act on their behalf. Right? This is different than God just uh, uh, acting to love everybody. There's an intentionality that's going on here as God listens and says, I have heard the cries of my people. And it's not just in this passage. We see this theme all throughout the Old Testament of God saying, I have heard the cries of my people, and so I act. The important thing here is that we have a God who focuses in, very specifically enters into our story. A God who is able to love because God has entered into community with his people. God doesn't just notice the burden that his people are carrying, but God shares the burden together. There's this shift from loving people, which we all can do, to loving these specific people, right? To loving my people, right? There's a shift in that. I can love everybody. Like I could choose to, like today, like I'm choosing to love you guys as a community of people, But I also recognize there's a difference that you people are not my people, right? There's another shift in there from loving people to embracing my people. And the the shift to my people is a shift to shared lives and shared burdens. This is the love of God for his people. And this is the love of a pastor for their community. Uh, About a week ago... It was a day that I had worked late the night before, uh, and so I, and I had a late meeting coming that day, and I was like, this is like the one day I'm going to get to sleep in, right? And if, you, if you're still in the phase of having kids, you know how very, very sweet those moments where you get to sleep in are going to be. And like I had had this day circled on my calendar like that. And the kids are going to be off to school early. That is my sleep in day. So I'm all ready for this day, and at 6 o'clock in the morning, my phone rings. And I see who it is, and it's abnormal to be getting a call from this person this time. And I answer it. And as I answer the phone call, uh, it's one of my friends from our church. And they're sobbing on the other end of the phone. And they're in the middle of, they've just experienced a loss in their immediate family. They're dealing with the pain of death. And it was the next 20 minutes, 30 minutes of just trying to sit in silence on the phone and allow my friend to process what they were going through, the pain that they were feeling, the shock, the anger, all the feelings that were coming up. And I remember getting off the phone, and I was just exhausted in that moment. And my heart was just full of grief. And I remember thinking to myself, what a strange yet familiar feeling this is. And that I hadn't experienced that loss. 
I had not known the loved ones that had died in that moment. And yet, the people that had called, the people in my church, the friends that were close to me, those friends are my people, right? And as they are my people, in those conversations, their lives, their burdens become my life and my burden. And you walk through this. This is what it means to be a part of community. This is what it means to walk deeply in love and connection together. And this is what it means to be a pastor, to walk through life with a community of people and to share those lives together and to carry those burdens together. Not, not just the difficult stuff, the good stuff too, the ups and the downs. It means carrying the loss of loved ones as though it was your own loss. It means carrying the, the struggles of marriage, the anxiety of lost jobs, the fears of a community in the midst of the pandemic. It means carrying these things as though they're our own. And Sean, I encourage you in this moment in two ways. One, I encourage you as you have a community that is your people, I encourage you to always remember the privilege that that is. The privilege to get to be on the inside of life with people that each and every one of us in our stories uh, reflect the image of God in our world and in our community. And we get to be a part of those moments. And I also encourage you to continue to move forward bravely in the challenge and the weight of carrying those things together. The love for your community is a beautiful but heavy thing. But still, God goes further than just sharing our burdens together, right? He doesn't just choose a people. This is what's known as the incarnation. That God takes another step besides just calling a people. And we see in John chapter 1, it's beautifully described. I love it in the message. It says, uh, the word talking about God, Jesus, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. Right? So it's not just that God has a focus on us. It's not just that God has a relationship with us. God took on flesh and blood, right? So there's like an identity there. God embraced our identity. Uh, he, he put on our jersey. He joined our team, right? God got close to us in every way God could and then moved into the neighborhood. There's a shared minimizing of distance. There's a closeness that happens there. It's beyond just better attention and more awareness. Now God has a shared nearness and shared experience with us. And there's two things about that love of the incarnation that I want to emphasize. First is that that kind of love that God shows minimizes distance. It minimizes, right? It's one thing to share the stories and the burdens of life with others. It's another thing to put ourselves in proximity to share the systems and structures of a community. Right? Because life is more than just the individual things that happen to us. Right? As we're together in community, there are systems and structures and powers uh, in our world that affect all of us together. And that's what I love about neighborhood churches in particular. I love what is going on here in this community because many live in this community, many walk together in life in this community, and as you draw near to each other and as you physically minimize the distance between each other in community and between neighbors, it shows love in a different way because you are subjecting yourself to those burdens, not just carrying those burdens. Being so closely in community, you begin to share the same struggles and the same celebrations. So as those walls of distance are, are removed, right? As the schools struggle, 
You're not just walking through life with parents sharing the, the pain uh, of dealing with the struggles of the schools. You're also experiencing in your own life, often with your own children. When our neighborhoods experience moments of, of fear or anxiety or loss together, those are things that we feel and we walk through together. When our city deals with rising pandemic numbers, those are things that we are not just aware of, not just praying for, but things that affect our day-to-day life as well. The love of incarnation is one that minimizes the distance between us and subjects us to sharing the stories of others, not just carrying the same burdens. The second part of the incarnation story uh, is the love of God that minimizes power and status. I want to read from Philippians chapter 2. This is known as the Kenosis Hymn. It's probably my favorite passage uh, in all of Scripture. In verses 5 through 7, say it like this. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, something to be clung to, something to be held on to, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made into human likeness. Right? So when God comes and enters into our world, it's not just a, a distance that's removed, it is a status, it is a power that is removed. Right? It's an equality that happens in the midst of that process, that God is shedding God's status in favor of equality. Now again, I recognize that probably, as far as my awareness, and again, I, I'm not on the inside, the Mennonite church probably recognizes this as, this uh, power dynamics better than any church that, that I've become aware of. And so I affirm that in this church. But I also recognize uh, what I see across culture and what I see in humanity. So I think it's always good for us to uh, have another encouragement in these issues. Right? And that too often is this, is that in the roles that we have of pastors, uh, across our country we have an epidemic of pastors that see themselves uh, more like Moses than like Jesus, right? We have an epi- epidemic of pastors that want to see themselves removed in positions of authority that are able to minister to but not minister with, right? That are, uh, that are self-protective of themselves and their status and their position and their roles in ways that becomes problematic, in ways that hurts other people and keeps them separated from being able to walk in love. Sean, I don't see this in you, <laughs> but I just want to to recognize that I think there is something about the role of pastor that if we're not careful over time can change people, right? And may you remember and recognize uh, that the love of God is one that always rejects status and rejects power and rejects self-protection in favor of being with and serving with community and not serving to community. Uh, but there's another side of this, because I think it's very easy for us to think about power and, and um, caution those with the power. But I think there's also something in our perceptions and in our perspectives as communities, too, that actually perpetuates the power dynamic sometimes. And again, I would say probably less so in Mennonite churches. But too often... Uh, we want our powers to deny, our, our pastors to deny power, but we treat them as though they are superhuman. Uh, there was several months back, I got a phone call. Somebody wanted a coffee, um, and so I 
right away, was able to go and meet. And uh, as I was talking to this person, they let me know that they were leaving the church. <laughs> and I was like, okay, like, that makes sense. Why don't you know, tell me how you're feeling? Tell me, t- tell me what's going on with you. Tell me, tell me what you're seeing. And they said, well, we're leaving the church because uh, the pastor won't meet with us. Okay, so in our, in our church, I am one of the pastors, uh, but we also have uh, a lead pastor in our church. And, and she said, the pastor won't meet with us. I was like, well, I'm one of the pastors. I'm meeting with you. You know, it's like, well, the pastor won't meet with me. And I was like, are you sure? Because that doesn't sound like, that doesn't sound like him. Uh, did you reach out? And he said that he wouldn't meet with you? She said, well, no, like he said that he could meet with me in a couple weeks, that he had, he had a time slot open to be able to meet with me. And I was like, oh, yeah, I recognize that that's difficult. Like, is what you're going through like an emergency? Like, what, what are you going through? What do you, need, what do you need care? Like, how can we care for you? How can we walk with you? And she said, well, what I'm going through, uh, I'm just going through some stuff in my marriage uh, that I need to talk to the pastor about. And I was like, well, like, if you're going through something in your marriage, like, I'm trained in marriage counseling. Like, I would love to walk through this with you. And I was like, and if not me, we have, we have people in our church that are actually licensed marriage therapists, and we would love to make it available for you to be able to meet with them for free. Like, we would love to be able to walk with you. And she said to me, like, no, on top of that, I should also point out, like, and our pastor is single and has never been married uh, and has not had any training in marriage counseling, right? So I was like, hey, there's lots of people that could help you with the stuff you're going through in your marriage. Like, let, let's help you. And she said, no, it has to be the pastor. And I don't want to be a part of a church where pastors aren't available to meet with everybody when they need to meet with them right away. Right? And there was something in that that I was thinking to myself, like, I'm not sure I want to be a part of a church that takes pastors that seriously. No offense, Sean. <laughs> Right? Like, there's something being perpetuated about the role of a pastor that's setting it up to be something more than a member serving a role in a community. And I have lots of questions about that. And the second part of it is, I'm not sure that that's humanly possible for a pastor to be there for everyone all the time and still be healthy. But sometimes we treat our pastors like they're super superhuman we expect them to be able to be everywhere for everyone. We expect them to always have an open door, yet be able to be great family people. right? We expect them to, to be there when we need it, yet also have strong mental health. Uh, we expect them to be entertaining enough that we're able to like track with their teaching, and yet deep enough that we uh, like make sure that we learn something that we haven't learned before. Um, you know, we have all these different expectations stacked on top of each other of what it means to be a pastor sometimes in ways that I don't think that any human being can really do. We expect them to work super long hours with oftentimes little compensation. We want them to be living in the moment without thinking about the future. Uh, we want them to, to be able to be everything that we need them to be. But the result of this kind of thinking is that we have pastors whose job it is to walk with us into peace, right? to to help walk with us towards the peace of God, and yet pastors are consistently showing up on the list of the most stressful jobs in America when they they pull these types of things. Uh, We have waves of pastors that are burning out and leaving ministry. 
We have generations of, I mean, it's a meme kind of that pastor's kids like end up bitter and resentful towards both family and the church, feeling rejected by both. Right? Many times in many ways we create these systems that we say we want our pastors to be one of us, to be among us, and yet we have these expectations that are superhuman for them. So I challenge us as church people, as community people, that as we love and as we accept and as we honor our pastors, that we would also make sure we continue to recognize their humanity, to recognize that they are one of us, and that we would continue to treat them as we would want to be treated and not put more expectations on them than we are capable, than anyone is capable of carrying ourselves. And again, I say that with all the love of hearing like how great the, the Mennonite denomination is at putting policies in place, but I think it's always a good reminder to us to love well. All right, as we wrap up this morning, um, I want us to see the love of God. And the love of God is a pattern of loving in community. Right? Not loving from a distance, not just uh, loving everybody, but loving very specifically. And I believe that's the call of a pastor to love well. And this love of God moves towards nearness. Right? First of all, it moves towards understanding that there is my people, that I am a part of this community, that I have shared identity and burden. It's a love that minimizes distance, that we subject ourselves to the similar powers and structures and systems of the world around us. And it's a love that minimizes power both in how we love and in how we are loved. So my prayer this morning for Sean and Allie is that you would continue to walk out the love of God in community. That you'd walk it out in wholeness and also in sacrifice. That you would walk it out uh, walking with your community and not for or to your community, but among your community. And my prayer for you as a congregation is that you would know, first of all, know personally and experience a love of a God who is with you, uh, not just generally, but a God who is with you and for you specifically. And that you would also experience the love of a pastor who is willing to walk through life with you in the midst of the ups and the downs, the goods and the bads, uh, be, be right there in the midst of it. As we close today, I want to close by reading the full passage of Philippians chapter 2 once more. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. We're going to read verses 1 through 11. Philippians 2, 1 through 11. Let me read this as our closing prayer. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any fellowship from His love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others to be better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen.